through verse 23. The word of the Lord says this, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his own sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to these things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. You may all be seated. Good morning. It's good to be here with you all this morning. Well, if I can pull up my notes, that would be helpful. Just two quick announcements this morning. First, uh, starting tomorrow evening at 6 o'clock to uh, 8.15, we will have VBS. Uh, this year, the theme is, if you have your Bibles, you can turn really quickly to Philippians chapter 1. If you're wondering, why is this whole ch- the, the church look like a construction site? It's based on this verse in Philippians. This is what we will teach the children this week. It's Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. It says this. Paul is writing. He says, And I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will complete it at the day of Christ Jesus. And so all that we'll teach the kids is that God is doing something in their midst and he's moving them to a place of completion. And so uh, that is the theme as you are uh, praying for us this week. Pray that the work of God will come to the day of completion. First, we need salvation. The work of God first is through salvation. So let's pray for our children that they would come to know him. And the second is that those who, the children that are here, that do know Christ, that God would use this week to continue to stir um, his affections in their heart, that they may be obedient. We need a young generation to come up in the Lord. We are, are desperate of that in our country, as you can see on the news. We need a young generation to, to rally around the word of Christ, to proclaim the word of God to this lost world. And so let's pray for our kids. Uh, this week. Let's pray for our teachers that God would use this week at VBS to stir their affections for him. So as you're thinking and praying, uh, you can be studying Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. That is what we'll be studying here throughout uh, the week. If you have kids, please sign up. Find Miss Jerry, find Tracy, find myself. You can also sign up online. Uh, You can pre-register. That will take a lot of uh, time out from tomorrow night to register your kids. So please register online. Uh, if you have any questions, find me, Tracy, or uh, Miss Jerry, who is our uh, children's director. We'd love to, to help you with that. If you don't have children or grandchildren, you could still come and just be a part of what we're doing to just pray with us and that God would, would uh, move this week. So uh, VBS starts tomorrow. 
And the last announcement of this, uh, to all the fathers, happy Father's Day. We're so grateful uh, for you. We're so grateful for all that God is doing in you. And it's a reminder for us that we have a Heavenly Father uh, that shows us even more what it means of his love and his kindness towards us. So fathers, happy Father's Day. Well, let's pray. We'll take a few moments to pray for VBS, pray for our service, and then we'll jump into Colossians chapter 2 this morning as we finish out the chapter. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we humble ourselves before your mighty hand as we were reminded last week by Brother Steve that we would come and we'd offer our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice to you. And how that looks is that we would lay our desires down, lay our wants down, lay our traditions down, lay everything down before you. We would live sacrificial lives for the sake of of the gospel and the sake of the furtherance of your kingdom. And God, now we come and we ask that you would move in a powerful way this week at VBS. That you would use the time of fellowship, the time of worship, missions, recreation, and for sure, God, the teaching of your word to your children. That even now, God, throughout this community, that you would be working on the hearts and lives of the kids that you would bring to us. That you would soften their hearts for the seed of the gospel which will be sowed this week. And you tell us over and over again, but it's so poignant in Luke chapter 10 verse 2, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And now God, the workers have come to sow the seed and to, uh, to reap the harvest. I, I pray that would be true. For us this week that we'd see our children come to know you that those children would grow in their intimacy with you and their walk with you and they would be warriors for you as they grow we need this generation of young children to rise up and lead and lead with boldness and clarity god we pray for your protection on these children as the world becomes seemingly more and more wicked and more and more godless. So many things can pull these children away. And we ask through the Holy Spirit that you would draw them to yourself. We pray for parents and grandparents that will come and drop their kids off and stick around, that they would see the gospel lived out in the four walls of this church. So use EVS in a mighty way. I pray for our teachers, our leaders, our volunteers, that you'd give them an extra dose of uh, energy this week as it will be a long week. But I, I pray for your goodness and kindness be poured out to them. So we offer VBS to you. Do what only you can do, and that's bring both sanctification and justification that will lead to glorification. And now, God, we come to you this morning and ask that you would move in our hearts through your word here in the letter of Colossians. As we've been studying, may we see ourselves in this letter. And as we come this morning and look at Paul's warning to the Colossians, it's the same warning that you give us 
this morning. So lead us, guide us in our time in your word. Transform us. We pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Having a difficult time with the uh, lack of uh, real estate in this uh, region right here. So I hope the Bible doesn't fall over or the iPad doesn't fall over this morning. We are here in the letter to uh, this small church in uh, Colossae. And this is a church that's very young. And as we've been looking at this letter, Paul is writing to this young church about what it means for the sufficiency of Christ or that Christ is all things to all people. That is, it's not Christ plus something else that equals our salvation. That it's not Christ plus this ritual that will keep our salvation. And so Paul is giving these warnings because what's happening in this young church is that it's being uh, really taken over by false teachers. And those false teachers are coming in and saying, no, no, it's Christ plus Christ and Christ do this. Or you'll have no salvation or you can't sustain your salvation. And Paul's like, no, Christ sustains all things because he is supreme over all things. Paul, throughout this letter, has been giving warnings to this young church. And we saw that a couple weeks ago. We'll see that again. This is one of the last warnings that he gives to this church before he dives in and begins to say to them what the transformation of Christ and Christ alone will look like looks like so Paul will give three warnings here in the text the first warning is in verses 16 through 17 it's the warning of legalism Paul is going to talk to this young church about what it looks like to become legalistic and he warns them not to become legalistic the second thing that we'll see is a warning against mysticism that that there's this uh, pursuit of higher religious value when we uh, do more religious things. And so he gives this young church a warning on that. That's his verse 18 through 19. And then we'll follow um, the, the end of the passage, verses 20 through 23, a warning against asceticism. And I'll define that uh, when we get there. So three warnings Paul gives to this church, but I believe it's a warning that we here at Powell's Chapel must heed to as well. So let's look first at the warning against legalism. One writer says this about legalism. Legalism is the religion of human achievement or human works. It argues that spirituality is based on Christ plus human works. And so what Paul is going to say in these first two verses is a warning against uh, spirituality that is driven by human works. It's not about your works that brings salvation is the warning. Like that's what the Catholic Church teaches, that you can gain your way into salvation if you do these things, and that's what was beginning to be taught in this body. He gives two warnings about the legalism that's beginning to enter into the church. Those two warnings are a, a place of dietary restrictions and of religious days. You see that in the text. He says this, therefore, the therefore is based on what we just studied two weeks ago. Remember that all things were nailed to the cross and at the cross we have freedom in Christ. And so because we have freedom in Christ, now Paul says, because of that freedom that Christ did for you on the cross, 
not that you did for yourself. It wasn't a work of yourself, but it was a work of Christ. Remember, it's the work of Christ that has given you salvation. And then he says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. So he's saying, hey, now I'm going to enter into some things that's going to blow the Jewish mind and what the Jewish people were putting onto the Gentiles. The whole Old Testament really can be summed up about religious law or religious duty. And we see later on through the life of Christ that Christ says, no, I've come to accomplish the law or fulfill the law. So the Old Testament laws have been accomplished in me through my life, through my death, and through my resurrection. And Paul is saying, let's remember that about Christ in these two ways, dietary restrictions and religious days or religious daily restrictions. So the first one, Paul says this, let no one pass judgment onto you in questions of your food or, or your drink. And so what does Paul mean by that? In Leviticus chapter 11, verses 2 through 20 is a detailed list of what Moses got from God about it looked like for their uh, intimacy with God. And so he would say to the people in the Old Testament to have intimacy with God, we need to keep these laws. And what was happening was that they weren't coming from uh, into the New Testament, remembering what Christ did. And so the Jewish people were saying, we've got to go and we've got to hold on to the law. It's the law that's going to bring us to salvation because it's the law that brought us to salvation in the Old Testament. And Paul is saying, no, no, it's, it's not about what you eat or don't eat. I know that's what the Old Testament says. But what did Jesus say about what we eat? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 15. Jesus is going to tell us it's not about what we eat any longer. Matthew chapter 15, verses 10 through 22. This is what Jesus says, what defiles a person. And he called the people to himself and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles the person. Then his disciples, those that were closest to him, the twelve, said to Jesus, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Remember, the Pharisees were the religious leaders. The, the, the Pharisees were the ones that held on to the law. The Pharisees were who taught the law. So the law was being taught by the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were super offended because he was going against what the law said. Because the law would say, no, no, it's what goes into the body that will defile the body. And now Jesus says, no, 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 it's not about what goes into the body that defiles the person. They're offended by what you said. And then Jesus answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will go uprooted. Meaning the teaching that my father has sowed into the world will, will be burned up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. He's saying the religious leaders are blinded by their legalism. The Pharisees were legalistic people, and they were blinded, and they were now blinding the people. 
But Peter said to him, then explain the parable to us. And Jesus said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see what, whatever goes into the mouth passes the stomach and it's expelled? And then he says this, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds where? From the heart. So, so Jesus is saying it's not what comes into the body that defiles the person. It's what comes out of the body. But what Jesus now says, it's about the heart. It's not about the stomach. And he's saying it's got to be about a heart transformation. It's what comes out of the heart that defiles a person. For out of what? Not the stomach, not the food, but of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, idolatry, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slanders. These are what defiles a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. What Jesus is saying, it's not about what goes in, it's about what comes out. And what comes out comes from the heart. And that's what Paul is saying back in Colossians chapter 2. He says, let no one pass judgment on what you eat or drink. You have freedom to eat or drink whatever you want. We see that uh, with the, the life of Peter. Remember, Peter goes, he has this vision from the Lord, and in the vision, there's these animals that are on a sheet that are being brought down before Peter, and Peter's like, I can't eat that, I can't eat that. Three different times we see this vision that Peter has. The last time it has, he has it, God shows up and says, it's all clean because I made it. So now Paul is going to say to us here, let us not become legalistic about what we eat. Because it's not about what we eat. It's about our hearts. He gives us a warning. There's another passage in 1 Corinthians verse eight, chapter 8, verse 8. Food will not condemn us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and we're no better off if we do, Paul says. It's not about what we eat. And yet these people are coming into the church and saying to them, it's about what you eat. And Paul says, let no one judge you for that. And then he says this, not only what we eat, but now about what days we worship on, is what Paul says. He says, or in regard to festivals, or the new moon, or the Sabbath. Right? So there's these holy days in the life of Israel that were sacred above all days. And he lists those. He lists them in yearly forms, he lists them in monthly forms, and then he lists them in daily forms. That's the progression in the text and what Paul is saying hey it doesn't matter about the days that you worship do you know this is not a holy day just because it's Sunday that is what Paul is saying what makes this day so holy is the gathering of the saints in one place the reason we do uh, this on a Sunday is not because it's more holy than any other day it's a reminder to us about when Christ rose from the dead if Christ had rose from the dead on a Wednesday, we would celebrate on a Wednesday. It's no more holy day than any other day. It's a reminder for us as believers that we come and gather with God's people to be reminded of what Christ did for us. And that is what Paul is saying. Let no one cast judgment onto you. Now, we'll say this. It's important that we gather as God's people. And this is the day that the church has set aside to gather as God's people. So we must gather together, but let no one judge us for that. And then he says this, 
in verse 17. This is the reason that I have a warning against legalism. These, both the the dietary restriction and the religious days, all the Old Testament, if you will, are what? Shadows of the things to come. What is a shadow? A shadow is just simply an image that is not reality of reality. Like my shadow, you can't see it here, but my shadow has no substance about it. But it cast a sh- I cast a shadow because of the reality I have. And Paul is saying, those things don't matter. They're just simply casting a shadow towards what does matter. We don't look at the shadow. We look at the person that the shadow is being casted from. And so Paul is saying to us, let's look to the real thing not to the shadows of the thing that point us back. That's what Jesus said, remember, right after his resurrection in, in Luke. Luke is, uh, Luke is writing after the resurrection. These two men, Cleopas and No Name, are, are walking away from the resurrection, if you remember. And these two disciples on the road to Emmaus are having this conversation about the shadows, about all that was talked about. And they're disheartened. And if you remember the, 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 the story, Jesus shows up in their midst. He doesn't reveal himself to them, and he asks them the question, what are you talking about? And they begin to tell him about all the shadows, if you will, what they're talking about. And then Jesus says to them, as he opens their eyes, he says, I am all those things you are talking about. And from the very beginning of Genesis, all the the way to Malachi, Jesus reveals himself in the Old Testament to these men. And then it says, their eyes open to see Christ for who he really was. My prayer is that our legalistic thoughts about what we should do and what we shouldn't do will hold us back from seeing Christ for who he really is. That's what's happening to this young church. This young church began to hold to human achievement, hoping that it would bring them a spirituality that would lead to salvation. You see, legalistic views and legalistic lifestyles will not bring you to salvation. It's not about what you do or don't do. It's what Jesus will say to many. He will come and say, Lord, Lord, we did these things in your name. We did these legalistic things for you. And what will Jesus say to them? Depart from me, for I didn't know you. Because I don't know about the works, because it wasn't pointing you back to me. And so we, may we not be caught up in legalistic ideas. Legalism does two things to us. The first thing that legalism does is it forces us and it demands uniformity. Like when I become a legalistic person, I will demand you become just like me. And then if you don't become just like me, what always happens with legalism, legalism always pushes us to what? Judgmentalism. So if you don't become like me in the things that I do and become legalistic in the way that I think you ought to be, then I place this judgment onto you. And judgment always breaks relationships. Right? Christ was all about relationships, so if we're doing anything contrary to relationships, 
you can know it's coming from judgmentalism. You just keep looking up the ladder to legalism. Let us not be a legalistic church. So legalism first demands uniformity. The second thing is this. Legalism will produce a self-will faith. A self-will that I have to will my way into faith. I have to do all these things and you have to do all these things to have a faith. No, faith is given to us by God. It's a free gift that is not produced inside myself. We cannot have a self-will faith. We must have a we must have a Christ-willed faith. So let us not be legalistic. It's what happened with the young rich ruler in Mark chapter 10. Remember what happened with the young rich ruler. He comes to Jesus. He wants salvation. He's begging for salvation. And he, Christ says to him and has this conversation. And the young rich ruler says, I've done all those things. All the things you're talking about, I've done all those things. And yet, in doing all those things, there's one thing still missing, his salvation. So our salvation will not come by what we do. Let us not become legalistic. So the first warning is against legalism. The second warning is against mysticism. Mysticism simply means this. A pursuit of a deeper or higher subjected to religious experience. So what Paul is saying, let us have a warning against mysticism or this, that everything has to be this epic experience. It's what most teenage kids happen to them at youth camp. They go to youth camp and they have this spiritual experience. And by the time they get home off the bus, and into the house, and the parents say, go clean your room, all their spirituality is out the window because they've been told something to do. And they, we have this, these emotional highs that we think are these intimate connections with Christ, and all it is is an emotional high. And so yet, then we get to this place, and that's what Paul is warning against here in verses 18 and 19. He says, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism. We'll get to that in the text uh, at the end, and worship angels going on detailed visions puffed up without reason or wisdom by their sensual minds and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nurses and knits together through its joints and ligaments and grows with a growth that comes from Christ. And so Paul gives this warning. Let us not be three things. We'll get to the first one uh, at the end of the text. So the two things are, let's not have this false humility that we think is going to lead to salvation. And then he says this, let's not worship angels. What, what does Paul mean by that? What Paul is meaning by that text is what was happening is that these teachers are saying, hey, you, you, you can't really have a mediator between just you and God. You have to go through someone to get to God. The way you can get to God is through worshiping or praying to angels. The Catholics would say this, the way to God is through an intercessor, the priest, or we got to pray to Mary. And so Paul is giving us this warning. It's not about these spiritual or these spiritual experiences that lead us to Christ. And I think so often it's we get um, fearful or we get nervous that we're not having these epic moments with Jesus. 
that I can come to God's word and nothing jumps out on the page or nothing happens that, that wows me. And we are, looking, are always looking for the wow factor. What I've come to see in my own life and believe in my own life, and I say this humbly, the Christian life is full of uh, being, uh, being bored, not being wowed. And what I mean by that is every time I come to God's word, something doesn't jump off the page at me. Nothing like stirs my heart. Nothing like motivates me. I can read and I can read and I can read. I've had less experience with God's word that things jump out and leap out on the page with me. That happens very rarely to me. I think we we live in a culture that says everything has to be epic. I don't think the Christian life is going to be epic. And that's what Paul is saying to us. It's okay to have a mundane, vanilla, boring Christian life. But do not all of us in the room, it's like we want that moment, that aha moment. Paul is warning against that. Because what happens is if we have that desire, then what happens is we begin to worship those things rather than who we ought to worship. We worship those uh, big moments in our life. And Paul's warning us about that. He is teaching us that it's okay to just live a very simple life when it comes to Jesus. But that's not what our culture teaches. Like what happens is, and this happens in the Pentecostal church. Like every time you go to a Pentecostal church, it's this epic show. And, and the, the spirit is moving. And it's like they have to get high on the spirit moving. Paul's like, that, that's not what it's about. It's not how the Christian life is. And so we worship those things rather than what those things ought to point us to. You see, we aren't to worship the spirit that's in the room. The spirit, the Holy Spirit is given to us for one reason and one reason only. It's to point us back to Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit is given to us for. And so for us, let us not get caught up in mysticism. This achievement of this higher spiritual religious experience. And then Paul, as I said, says about worshiping angels. He's talking about having a mediator. We know this to be true. We already have a mediator. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. Therefore, there is one God. And there is one mediator between God and man. That man is Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all which is the testimony given to us at the proper time. We already have a mediator. Our mediator does not have to be our religious experience. It's Christ and Christ alone. And now Paul gives us the last warning. He warns against what he had already said in verses 18 and 19, asceticism. You may be wondering, what is asceticism? Asceticism simply means this. Severe self-discipline and avoidance of all form of indulgences, typically for religious 
reason. And so Paul is saying to us, it's not about our self-discipline that's going to achieve salvation. Again, he's going back to what he's already said in the previous two. It's not about what you do and what you don't do. Now what Paul is not talking about in this passage is about spiritual disciplines. Those are important. But I tell you this, it doesn't matter how much you pray or read the Bible or don't smoke or don't chew or don't curse that's going to get you into the gates of heaven. Now you'll have to give an account for those things. But we're not going to go up before God and God have a checklist of saying, hey, did you do these things and did you not do these things and did you do these things more than you didn't do these things? But what happens with asceticism is we begin to believe, man, I better outdo the bad things with good things. I better live a life that I am constantly outdoing the bad things that I do. That's what asceticism is. Well, what happens is asceticism then says, I've got I've to get rid of all those things and just do these things. One writer says this, asceticism feeds on the flesh by starving it. Because what happens with asceticism is this, then we get back to self-will. I will self-will my way into not doing things and to doing things. Self-will doesn't last very long. I won't, I won't share the example that I have with that. But if you self-will your way, you will eventually get exhausted. You can only hold on and have white knuckles for so long. You will fail every time at self-will by starving yourself. And that's why Paul says to us, back to verse 16, to remind us of verses, the verses before that. We must remember this, that we are what? In verses 20, he says, if with Christ you have died to the elementary spirits of this world, why is it, if you are still alive in the world, why is it that you act as if you're still in the world? And you, do you submit to the regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that perish when they're used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom and self-promoting, self-made religion, asceticism and severity to, the, as severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. What Paul is saying here, it doesn't matter what you do and you don't do. Those things are not what are going to stop the indulgences of the flesh. What will stop the indulgences of flesh is what he says in the previous section. That he set aside all these things, nailing them to the cross. He what? He disarmed. Christ disarmed the rulers and the authorities. And he put them to open shame by triumphing over all of them. It's through Christ in Christ alone. It's not through our legalistic behavior. It's not through our experiential behavior. And it's not through our asceticism, our self-will disciplines. It's through Christ and Christ alone. It's what Paul reminds us in Romans to do. He says, so you must now 
consider yourselves dead to sin and what? Alive in Christ Jesus. Let no sin therefore reign your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. The only way to do that, Paul says, is not by what you do and don't do. The only way that the sin is dead to the body is when you are reminded that you are alive in Christ and it's Christ that now triumphs over your sin, not what you do and not what you don't do. It's a reminder of what we read a few weeks ago in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. For in Him, in Christ, the fullness of the deity dwells. And you have been what? Filled with Him. So it's being filled with Him, Christ, that will keep us away from legalism, mysticism, and asceticism. Not on our own. There's no such thing as self-willed Christianity. It is through our surrender to Christ and Christ alone that will bring us and keep us in our salvation. And so now as a way of application this morning, I have three questions I want to ask us. The first one is this. Is there any place in your life that you have become legalistic or judgmental to other people that don't walk like you walk in Christ? Any place in your life, in my life, the life of the church, that we've become legalistic? Brother Steve touched on it last week. Let our traditions not become legalistic. Number two, is there anything in your life or in my life that I value more important than my walk with Christ? Or do I believe that there's a way to salvation outside of Christ, Christ alone? And the last one is this. Do you know and do I know and do we the church know that we were hidden in Christ and it's Christ's power and his power alone that offers us and sustains our salvation. It's not by our self-will. Let me pray for us this morning.